Hello, you're listening to Drawn to the Flame, a podcast for fans of Arkham Horror the Card Game. We're sometimes fortnightly, we're sometimes monthly. I'm your host, Frank, and today I'm joined by... It's me, Peter. Hello, Frank. Hi, Peter. How are you doing? Doing great. I'm, uh, I've made this can of iron brew last for a whole week. Oh, nice. <laughs> Very nice. It's, it, I don't mind flat iron brew, actually. It's, it still, still has a... Filled the, with flavour. Yeah, yeah. All that rust. Mmm. Delicious rust. How are you doing? Oh, good. I'm doing all right. I feel like that intro that I was sounded like I was sort of not quite present. I was present, but I just was saying it in a weird way. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I keep was myself thinking that when you were saying it. Like as well. lilting. I was like, what's going on? My voice is all over the place. But... You jump like in hard as well after yeah. you start Hello. the recording. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Halfway through, I was thinking. I wonder when this episode will go out. Will it go out on my birthday, which is just before Christmas? Yeah. Will it go out just after Christmas? I was, I think I was distracted by that. And then also noticing that I sounded like a kind of, I don't know, like a sort of crazed pixie. <laughs> so, anyway, otherwise I'm doing really well. Excellent. I'm really excited about this episode. So the last episode we recorded was definitely one where I'd said, look, I think this is a topic I'd like to talk about. And you said, okay. This is a, we're flipping that on its head now. This is a topic that I think is much more driven by you and, and you want to talk about. So what is it, Peter? I've put a provocative name in the show notes, uh, but what was my, I had a better title for it mm. previously, mm. and I can't remember what it was now. It was essentially like, stop wasting actions like a chump. Uh, what I wanted to do was just... Have... I think it was stop being bad at Arkham, <laughs> you goons. <laughs> All in capitals. Uh, it's a real shame we're not on YouTube because it would be great to have a really provocative, like, uh, you yeah. know, a, a thumbnail, which is us like pointing at a card, which is blurred out and then a red question mark over it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I just wanted a bit of an interrogation between us about taking tests and when you shouldn't take a test. And I think a couple of things have led, sort of contributed to me wanting to take on this topic. The first is playing Earthborn Rangers, which okay, has yeah, yeah. A, a quite a, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like a well-defined impact of taking a test mm-hmm. in the challenge icons. Yeah, world activation. Yes. So often in Earthborn Rangers, just taking a test like I think every player who plays that game will just take a basic remember test because it draws you a card and they'll mm. say like, oh, I've got a focus energy left at the end of my turn. I'll just spend that to try and draw a card because who doesn't like drawing cards? And then they take a test and the challenge icon causes a cascade of effects which put them in a much worse position than they were at the beginning of the turn. Yeah, and we even gave an example on one of our Earthborn Rangers episodes of me taking a, a it wasn't quite a remember test, but it was another sort of Simplish test towards the end of a turn. I think I even said, "What's the worst that could happen?" Yes, <laughs> a lot of bad things happened. Yeah, Crack, yeah. cracking up at that can of Dr Pepper. <laughs> I don't think, I don't think I've said this on the cast. Maybe I have. It does remind me of games like Rogue and then Rogue Likes, where particularly any turn-based games. You've the definitely said that on the cast before. Yeah, I've definitely said those those words. But the the world doesn't activate unless you do something. Yes. And one of the things I love particularly about playing Brogue is that you can sit and look and you can go, right, okay, there's a swarm of four jackals coming at me from the west. 
and there's a room that I've not been in to before in the north. So if I go in there, there might be more enemies, but there's a doorway over here. So if I move that way, I can actually get to safety over by this doorway and I can, it's a choke point or whatever it is. And you can, it gets much more strategic than that. And listeners will have seen when I was streaming Brogue that on the deeper levels, you've got to be really, really careful. Okay, if I move one step to the left, that will trigger this trap, which will scare away some of the enemies because it's a gas cloud and I'll have to run through the poison gas, but then at least I'll get to safety, whatever it is. So yeah, there's a, there's a sense with that and with Earthborn Rangers that the the test actions in Earthborn Rangers or the actions you take in Brogue activate the whole world and it matters. Yeah. It's not quite the same in Arkham, is it? It's not. The equivalent would be the special tokens triggering an effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or certain keywords coming into, uh, or certain keywords being activated like alert or retaliate. Yes. Yeah. 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 I think particularly where special symbols either trigger enemies to attack you or do things like place doom that's where it can really feel like it spirals quickly particularly if you're playing on hard where those special symbol effects will happen regardless of success or failure often that can get really sticky really quickly you're like okay well i'll just evade this enemy and then you know the rest of our turns we can go on and you've you pull the skull and it means they hit you and you're like oh my goodness this has actually got really bad yeah, I think I've seen it before with um, someone playing as Rita and you know um, Hoods has alert and so they didn't have an immediate three damage solution for Hoods so they were like right well I'll just evade Hoods it does attack you if you evade it but that's okay and they tried to evade it and failed and got attacked anyway and then they tried again and passed and got it you know just it's horrific Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just really horrible <laughs> okay so that was your starting point well that was when one of my starting test? points Oh, okay. Can I go on to the oh, other one? Back to you. Yeah, please do. <laughs> so it was... I, if folks have listened to my Think On Your Feet episode, I talked for a bit at the end about how lucky I got during the, the mm-hmm. scenario itself and where what I was lucky in. And it, it got me thinking, there's, there's a great... The parallel I want to draw is with Age of Sigma, which mm-hmm. is the modern version of Warhammer, of the yeah. fantasy Warhammer game. There's a mechanic in Age of Sigma whereby at the beginning of a round, you roll off for priority. And the winner of the priority roll will take the first turn that round. So mm-hmm. f- for anyone who's not familiar with Warhammer, it's, it's, there's a you-go. You, one player does all of their actions. So you, one player moves all their models, shoots with all their models, fights with all their models. The, the fighting is alternate. So all models fight in both turns. But the person mm-hmm. whose turn it is gets the first choice of an activation. Yeah. So more or less... You do all your stuff, and then the other player does all their stuff in a round. Mm-hmm. Uh, the priority roll then determines who takes the first turn in that round, and that happens every round. Right. So, what will become obvious quite quickly is if I if I take if I have priority and I go first one round, and then I go second in the next round because I lose the priority, mm-hmm. the other player gets two turns in a row, and this is this is a roll off that the. the existing priority holder retains priority if the role is tied. So there's a, there's a slight bias towards the turn order staying the same. Mm-hmm. But over the course of a game, it's likely at some point there is going to be a double turn. Wow, okay, interesting. So that's obviously quite a powerful thing to happen. It, the wrinkle is that when you get priority, it doesn't mean you go first. It means you choose who goes first. So if you have priority, mm-hmm. you can select the double turn, 
you can you can yeah. you can offer the double turn to your opponent if it, they're not if you're not in a in a weak position. Yeah, yeah. You might even want them to expose themselves by coming closer towards you or whatever other things. Yeah. So so a lot of people who are used to not having that mechanic in a, in the game. So if they've come from one forty thousand, they'll be playing, and then the double turn will happen. They go, okay, well I was winning until the double turn happened, mm-hmm. and it's a purely a luck based mechanic because you do the roll off. Because what they're not doing is playing to accommodate mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. possibility, because it, they just want to continue to be lucky to to, to continue with the same order. Uh, mm-hmm. So you know, I was doing really well until I got unlucky and I got double turned, and then that's the reason I lost. Where you know it's going to happen at some point in the game, and you have to make sure you, you know if you're putting yourself in a position where the double turn is going to screw you, then it, you know you're not playing around the mechanic in the way that you should be. And this kind of like goes on to luck in general. You can sometimes see bad sports in games where there's a lot of like dice rolling. Say their opponent got lucky. But when you look at the, the trend over a long period of time, you can't be a good player just by being lucky all the time. <laughs> it might seem like someone who's really good is really lucky and they keep rolling really well, or they roll well on crucial rolls. But actually, when, when you break it down, what's far more likely is that they're in a position where they, they understand luck, they understand the odds, and they put themselves in the best position to mitigate bad luck and take advantage of good luck. It's actually reminding me of watching different Netrunners worlds and Netrunner nationals and things like that, where you're seeing high-level competitive players seemingly be lucky, mm. and you the thinking being actually like the, the highest-level players of any game, really, are actually quite consistent in their evaluation of the luck. And they're trying to put themselves in positions where it's not just about getting lucky. It's not, oh, I need to top deck three agendas to win now. It's, I've put myself in a position where either that's a likely outcome or where it doesn't matter if I don't get lucky. I think I gave you the example of of Blood Bowl as well in our chat. And so in Blood Bowl, it's alternate turns and you can activate all of your players and do things in your turn, but your turn ends specifically if you fail a roll to do anything. So that could be picking up the ball, passing the ball. It could be hitting an opposing player and you getting knocked down. So that's also like a failed roll. One of the sort of fundamental principles then when you learn to play Blood Bowl is you do all of the players that you're going to activate that aren't going to roll dice first. Yeah. So you do all of your moving people into position getting your supporting players in line. If you're going to pass the ball to someone who's going to have already run, you do them to run there first. And then you work out, well, how many dice rolls am I going to do? And what are the ones that are most important to do first? Because if I fail them, I'm going to miss out on them. And and so on and so forth. And again, it's not simply, well, I got lucky with a roll and I got to carry on. It's I've tried to mitigate how lucky I'm going to be by doing everything else first. And yeah, to then go, oh, I, I got unlucky and I failed that dice roll and then that meant you got a really strong following turn. It's like, well, yeah, but maybe you also could have moved all your other players into position to protect against that thing. Yeah. yeah. How does this link to Arkham? I guess it links to... Good well, question. Well, I, well, In your Think on Your Feet episode, there, were, there was one element where you were lucky, Yeah. which is that when you were searching the leads deck you saw a pretty low number of repeated cards. You did see some repeats. Yes, yeah. 
absolutely. There, there, there was a couple of things I think I got lucky in. The the I felt like maybe the lack of enemies was was a bit lucky, but actually I did have quite a few enemy management tools in my hand, so mm-hmm. I could have turned those into ways to help me. I had I think I had a turtle toe for almost the entire game. Yeah, you did. Yeah, and. Yeah, the the lead deck. The, the got part me that you actually got lucky with that was that you didn't turn one player weapon. You waited. Yes. And if you'd drawn an enemy start of turn two, then it might have been a little bit tricky for you. Low stats. Yeah. And needing to deal with something quickly. Yeah. A lot of the enemies in that scenario spawn away from you, so then it would you know action text you. Yeah. That's where you were lucky. Not the fact that you didn't have a weapon or that you didn't get enemies. It's that you didn't get enemies early on. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, so lead deck, maybe a little bit with the encounter draws, and then with the regurgitation, no, reality acid. Reality acid. Mm-hmm. Hit mm-hmm. the accursed follower. <laughs> yeah, that was nice. That was really, I think that was lucky. That was that was a real break I had there. But I, I was considering, was I lucky or unlucky with my, with my tests? And I think when I... If you look at the balance of Elder Signs to Order Fails, I think I drew two Elder Signs and one Order Fail, which feels about right. Obviously, that's better than the other way around. Mm. But Mm -hmm. it got me thinking, how many tests should you fail in a game of Arkham? Mm. And are the number of tests you fail a function of luck? Mm -hmm. Because you you could play Arkham super conservatively and go four up on all the tests mm-hmm. by whatever method you're able to do that. Yeah. And your your the number of tests you would fail would be extremely low as a result. It would be yeah. one in fifteen or one in one in twenty, whatever the, the odds of the auto fail token are. I, I agree and that leads to like a separate but related point of part of the appeal for many people of Harden Expert is that you you simply can't do that. You can't play conservatively in that way. So cards that give you ways of getting high enough to to help in that regard are really useful. But also you have to have a better understanding of luck insofar as you need to know what your odds are for any given test and you need to be able to prioritise which are the tests that I can go a bit higher on given my limited resources. Yes, yes, exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. To flip back to your original question, how many tests might one expect to fail? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a really, it's a really striking one, isn't it? Say you're playing solo. If in a turn you you're taking tests at two up and you pull a minus three, a minus four, and an auto fail, pulling those three tokens in a row is not in itself unrealistic. You know, it's not, mm-hmm. it's not shocking. But that's a whole turn wasted. And put in those terms, if you start a game and you say, "Oh, by the way, like just lose three actions now because you're going to lose them later on," I'd be like, "Oh my goodness, that's such a handicap, that's <laughs> such a drawback to playing." Yeah. But as you play, as long as the loss of actions is spread out, it doesn't feel as bad. And I've seen people say, you know, you can have that brutal turn where you draw an enemy and you can't do anything about it for three actions in a row, and then it hits you, and then the following turn you draw another enemy, and you're kind of screwed. Yeah, it's like yeah, it just absolutely bogged yeah. down. And funnily enough, the most recent image in our Discord is of a go track being absolutely snookered. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. that's the equivalent uh, that that happens for the player, I think. So th- yeah, that that's a worthwhile consideration. I'm sure it feeds into people saying, "Well, I'm just going to try and be four up because if I start hemorrhaging tests in that way, yeah, 
it's really bad. And yeah, the tentacling one test and then taking the t- same test again at two up and then pulling the minus four, that is a really savage thing to happen. It really stings. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And I guess I, this is kind of what I want to get to the heart of. What are those mm. situations where that is unavoidable and what are the situations where taking a test multiple times or taking a test without the decent odds to succeed, how do I make the the calculation in my head of when that's worth doing? Yeah. Because, like, you know, there's always... The, do you take two tests at one over or do you take one test at two over if you need to pass it (laughs) i've got i've got two icons in my hand i can put in what's the best way of distributing these across the tests i make and you you could just do the odds for that you could get a calculator out and multiply it up but what would your gut feeling be in a situation like that this is why this is such a difficult topic for the podcast because there are so many contextual elements that it's quite hard to remove all of those and make an assessment yeah and I also think my opinion on it has changed as I've played. Oh, interesting. Can you talk about that? No. Well, I just, I remember, yeah, I, you know, early days of the game, I remember, for instance, I've definitely said this on the cast before, like playing with a friend who was playing Switch Knife, Switchblade Jenny, the upgraded one, and they would just do multiple tests at, say, three up if they could, if they could afford to boost with hard knocks and so on. Mm-hmm. And the goal was many, many actions and just like cutting. And that's obviously a very different style from I'm going to put a vicious blow in, so I'm going to kill this enemy in one shot. And what I'd rather do is make that as likely a hit as to take two swings with my machete, which is slightly inefficient because it's a three health enemy and I'd be hitting it twice, but I can boost them by one each time. Yeah. That's that's obviously a different analysis, I suppose. So yeah, that's that's where I'd say I can see it changing. My gut feel now is that tests are, like I've sort of alluded to already, tests are the point at which you can lose the most actions. Yes. And that they're actions you could normally spend doing other things. Yeah. So the goal is to try to pass them as neatly as possible. And they're probably the easiest way in which you can start feeling like you're falling behind in the game. So... That, to me, would be a point at which I say if I can make them as close to being surefire as possible, I would. That being said, I also feel like one of the ways you end up stuck in the game is that you're early on you do a few tests and you put you go four up and then you've run out of cards in hand and run out of resources <laughs> and you're sort of stymied. Yeah. So being able to maybe gamble early on and say, okay, I'm going to do a couple of tests at two up, that's reasonable enough is worthwhile and i guess the other factor there is what are you putting in to get to two up so like say are you using a flashlight charge to make you two up and is that a worthwhile use of a flashlight charge when you could be using a flashlight charge to drop a shroud to zero somewhere else Mm. and it's it's then a much bigger boost um or yeah are you using your vicious blow to get a plus one but you don't need the extra damage i've definitely seen that in the past where someone's like well it's a combat icon and my argument now would be why well, I would never commit Vicious Blow unless the extra damage is the thing I need, not the extra icon. Um, so, yeah, I suppose I suppose that's one of the things I really admired about your Think on Your Feet is you've got a very good assessment of is this a test I can afford to, to fail? Like, if I'm forcing myself to three up just to remove one token from the bag, 
maybe just taken it two up and then I've not put anything in that I've lost. I've not I've not um overstretched myself. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I get you, I get you. What do you think though about that same question of the two tests at plus one or one test at plus two? So for me, the hidden aspect is it's not just the odds of succeeding at that test you have to take into consideration. It's mm-hmm. and you sort of talked through this, Frank. Um, it's <laughs> it's the cost of the action as well. Mm. It's or the penalty of failure as well, right? Well, there is the penalty of failure, and and I think actually listening to you talk, one of the hot takeaways I'd have from this would be asking yourself, what happens if I fail this? Before you take any test, mm-hmm. what happens if I fail? What are the consequences for failing this test? Is that mm-hmm. how much worse is that than? you know, having an extra card or having an extra resource for me to, to spend in some way. Yeah. But yeah, that that minus one, two tests at minus one, one test at minus two, it doesn't take into account you could use that extra action to do something else, to move bank an action you want to play on something else. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I talk about banking an action, you know, play an asset you might need later in the game or or move yeah. move to a location, mm-hmm. take a resource for a, car, for a card you're going to need to play in a, in a turn or two's time. That kind of thing. Taking the two tests wastes that opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. That's what's lost beyond any any type of failure as well. Mm. Yeah. There was when you were talking about Age of Sigmar and, and good players knowing when to be lucky but also what to do to mitigate bad luck. Yeah. I think that that ties in really perfectly here. It's when you're planning that turn out, you know, end of mythos, all right, what are our priorities this round? It's quite easy to say, okay, you get the clues here and I'm going to run over here and kill this enemy and then we're going to do this and all being well, we'll meet up at this place and we'll be ahead. Mm-hmm. And that, that makes sense. You know, you're know, you a positive player and the, maybe there's more room to say, okay, what's the worst that could happen this round and how do we stop that happening? And anything after that is a bonus, which I, I guess I'm just saying in, in another way, it's that sense of, okay, if you spend your action trying to investigate a location and just failing all three tests, where does that leave us by the end of the round? Yeah, it, yeah. Can we afford to lose three actions in that way? Or is it like, okay, we really need you to get the clue first action because then we're going to spend clues so that allows me to then spend my actions or whatever it is. That's something I think that's so continually fascinating about the game is the shifting value of actions throughout a scenario, throughout a campaign. Yeah, There yeah. was a time when we were playing Vincent and Mark it wasn't the most recent scenario we played, but something like that happened where you you just needed to get a couple of clues, and you you failed all the tests by one. Yeah, and it was just like, and I think I think the Hawkeye hadn't charged up to the intellect boost, and yeah. it was just like just you know nothing to put you, in. Yeah, nothing to put in. If you'd got up the Hawkeye boost, then you would have passed the next one, and yeah, it was really like one of those awkward moments that Arkham's really good at creating. Yeah. I don't even know where we are on your notes with this episode. I've just sort of yeah dove in and I'm, I'm following you. <laughs> yeah, I, I, well, I was sort of trying to follow you. <laughs> That's why we feel lost. Yeah. <laughs> this is interesting, though. I, I'm, I'm glad I sort of brought this up and, and, and tried to interrogate it. I sometimes mm. feel I can be quite a frustrating person to play with because I'm always asking people, is that the best way to spend your actions? This is why I'm always such a fan of like movement tech. Because those movement yeah. actions feel like such a... It's an easy... Uh, well, n- no. <laughs> it's the word you don't want to use. No, yeah. no, no, no. no. I, I, and I wasn't even trying to say that. It was. It's like you're... When you look back at the scenario, 
it's easy to plan out an optimal route via movement. Mm -hmm. You know, you go to this location, you pick up the clues, you go to this location, you pick up the clues, and there'll be an optimal route to go through for the scenario. And in fact, Think Mm -hmm. on Your Feet was a great example of that, wasn't it? Because I I stuck to doing like a a figure eight. Infinity, Yeah. 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 So I went up and to the right and then round that loop and then up and to the left and then round that loop covering some of the intervening locations as I went round. Yeah. yeah. So, but but when you get to the end of the scenario, if you've tried to jump around in funny ways, <laughs> that'll be an ev- a really mm. obvious action sink. Yeah. I, I didn't, obviously, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. If I'd known what I know, then I would have taken a different route, obviously. But like just asking yourself, is this movement that action I'm about to take, is that really necessary? And I think mm. the same applies to, it's basically any action, isn't it? Yeah. Really ask yeah. yourself what's the what's the outcome of this and how is it helping us win the scenario. And it's funny as well, isn't it? Because taking a resource and drawing a card in the hierarchy of actions for many players are viewed as less good mm. than taking a test or moving. And it's interesting that, isn't it? Like is that specifically a card gamer thing where card advantage matters more? And so players who aren't used to that don't notice that. Or is there something else going on where drawing a card, because there's a risk of a weakness, it's sort of disincentivized and gaining resources like the least flash option. So why would you? But like, there's one point in that Think of Your Feet episode where later on you go, I'm so glad I spent an action playing Faustian Bargain. And you played it when you were on (laughs) maybe three or four resources. So it wasn't vital. Yeah. But then you had a parlay come up that cost you three resources. There was something else you wanted to play. You spent all the Faustian bargain money and some quite quickly. And it, it's it's absolutely true where another player might have said, oh, well, I'll just move on now. I'm done at this location. But you taking the time to play a, play a card that gains you resources, even though it didn't seem immediately necessary, really paid off. So yeah, that like I've, I've got various sort of nebulous examples floating in my head of where people might choose and i'm sure we talked about it in the movement episode they might choose to go and reveal a new location because that feels like a contribution yeah but so often in arkham you're going to need to clear every location as you work your way through there's not a kind of choice of which to pick and spending an action just to move to reveal a new location is often an indicator to me of you don't know what to do yeah yeah it's kind of the inverse of you know like Obviously, there are people who build decks where every card is worthwhile. And the idea that like you could just chuck a card, it's like, no, every card I put in my deck is meaningful. I don't want to just chuck a card. <laughs> it's the flip of that, isn't it? Of saying, well, I'm not, I don't want to draw a card because there's nothing I need. It's like, wait, so you built a 30-card deck and yet there's no cards in that deck that would improve your current situation? Yeah, yeah. And again, that's not me trying to be mean to players, but even having another card for icons is useful unless you have some card that's going to penalize you for discarding cards because you're overdrawn i'd always be like well get me the icon i'll have an icon or i'll get a duplicate of a card or i'll get another copy of an ally so if this ally is kept you know what i mean you there's there's extra things to be had i guess the flip side is there are examples like where you have an enemy management character a zoe or a finn well not not finn actually he's a bad example (laughs) for what i'm about to say so zoe's there's there's no enemies present, nothing else mm. that Zoe can productively do. She's got out her weapon, she's got, you know, a, a good selection of cards in her hand. At that point, 
the potential gain from spending an action on an investigate, so Zoe with her two intellect investigating a mm. one or a two shroud location, that then represents quite a potential saving for a clue get, getting character mm. who then doesn't yeah. have to travel to your location and investigate it, which yeah. could be two actions, you know, and then back to where there were three actions. That's a whole turn if it's mm. if it's mm-hmm. a, a clue or so off a, off a low shroud location. Yeah. So actually, you can look at the odds. While it's a low probability of success, it's such a high gain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's worth worth the worth the punt. Yeah, the clue itself might not seem that important. It might be clue six of the eight you need to advance. So you're going to need to get other clues anyway. But it's not the fact that it's a clue that matters. It's the fact the impact of the other player that matters. And that, that, I'm just repeating what you said, but I think it's a really pertinent point. To me, it's why in my multiplayer teams recently, we've lent more towards generalists or more towards allowing every character to be able to help at a pinch with certain things so that you don't end up in that situation where the enemy management character, all they can do is draw cards, get resources or fight. Because there might be times when they are geared up and they could actually contribute in other ways yeah yeah i think we've had that in vince and the mark as well i'll sneak clues with with greta wagner or just by you know taking Take damage, damage. My, yes <laughs> my intellect and, and sneak a clue and that they add up even if i get say three or four clues in a in a scenario that's that's huge you know that's what a couple of deduction investigates or you know four investigates over the course of the scenario it just lifts some of the load off you yeah I think the other thing is there are some situations in Arkham where you're almost forced to just take tests. So whether it's clearing that location of clues so that you're allowed to advance, or I'm thinking of something like rowing the boat in Carnival, where the, and maybe it's sort of the, the more juvenile design of the game, but at the end of Carnival, you're just sitting there mashing those tests, pumping actually in the lighthouse, just getting into the pump station and pumping to clear locations of flooding so that you can leave. In situations like that, it's actually very clear you just need to take this action over and over again. Yeah. And so yeah. at that point, the decision is simply, can I pass? Is there anything in my deck that would help me pass? And if not, I just have to take these tests and, and accept the odds. And it might just be a brute force approach. But almost any other time in Arkham the brute force approach doesn't work. It's quite rare where you have those situations of just, okay, I'm just gonna just gonna test agility two, three times. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> and I raise it because I think it illustrates that almost all of the rest of the time there is nuance. So I don't know, does where where does this leave us? What do we think we've learned? <laughs> does anyone suck at Arkham? Is it actually a much more complicated <laughs> game than we were giving it credit? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where does it leave us? I have a weird deja vu sense with this episode. I think it touches on so many topics that we love. I guess it ties into we both like the idea of being strategic with your actions. It reminds me that the value of an action changes circumstantially and over the course of a scenario. I really like that, like, what's the cost of the action and thinking about the cost rather than the result rather than the effect, to use Arkham terms. Mm. And, you know, we've definitely said it before, but not all actions are made equal. So that idea of I could spend a double action to clear your your weakness right now. In fact, we had that situation, didn't we, where 
I failed the test and I had two actions left and I could try the test again and do another thing or I could just clear a double action weakness. And it was like, let's just clear the double action weakness. It feels a bit of a wasted term, a failed test and clearing a weakness, but it's actions that I might not have later and it frees me up for a free action turn later. So yeah, there's that as well. Sorry, that was a tangent. I guess there's this whole element of luck as well, pushing your luck in the game. What is what is it to be lucky? That's probably valuable as well. When you see someone taking tests at one below, they're really gambling on luck at that point. That's yeah. a really difficult um, proposition. Yeah. How about you? What are you drawing from all of this? I, th- I think it's like the questions to ask ask yourself before you take a test. What are my odds of passing this test? Is it worth doing that test over investing that action more uh, productively somewhere else? Drawing a card, mm-hmm. getting a resource, whatever. But I, yeah, I appreciate what I think you touched on just then. How did you, what did you say again? <laughs> there was something you said that just struck me with your phrasing. Which bit? <laughs> just, just, just when we were talking about lessons learned. Oh, I don't know. What the actions have different, not all actions made equal. It's the circumstantial nature of the actions. It's a common refrain of ours, that isn't it? Yeah, not all actions are created equal. I don't know. I just I, maybe I haven't learned anything. Maybe I'm just going to keep on doing what I was doing. I think like the 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 potential gain of a what I hadn't considered is the, what's the potential gain of of a of a test done at a low, a kind of on spec. That's a tool that can be used, and mm. it. I think what it was that you were talking about is a bit earlier. Was was the idea of saving the resources for something else that comes up? So an icon. In an ideal world, you would pass every test by the exact amount you needed. Yeah, and you would have infinite resources to invest. But neither of those yeah. things are true. You can invest <laughs> cards in tests that you don't end up needing it, which you could have failed. Yeah. Without it's having a negative effect, that. right? Yeah. So you pass a crypt chill, you take it in, in the think on your feet, you, mm-hmm. you take a crypt chill, I think it's four on four. Yeah. Or maybe it's even three on four and you pull a plus one, something like that. You get lucky. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I passed. Great. Oh, that was lucky. You had an empty flashlight at that point. Yes. Yes. So actually the outcome of success or failure is pretty moot. Yeah. Because it wasn't like passing the test saved, I don't know, your Michael Lee or saved your machete and you also had an enemy bearing down on you. Yeah. There wasn't actually much luck to be had. You were lucky in the specifics (laughs) of passing the test. Yeah. But it didn't actually matter whether you passed or or failed. Yes. Yes. Fast or failed. And that feels really important, I think. Yeah, exactly. I I think you've, you've illuminated something I was trying to get at. We're getting there in the end. Yeah. yeah. That how do you even put that into words? Well, I, th- I think luck comes into play in terms of avoiding the kind of incidental damage and horror you might take from treacheries, mm-hmm. but where you've already had the calculation that it's not going to, it doesn't have a, a kind of fundamental impact on how you're going to play. So it's, it's, it's an allocation of resources, isn't it? This, this is yeah. best allocated to this test. These actions are best allocated to this test. I'm going to put these cards in to help me pass it. And is is being unlucky in Arkham when you make an assessment to allocate resources only for the chaos bag to punish you? So I draw a rotting remains. I've not taken any horror. And I'm like, oh, okay, I don't want to take any horror. I'll commit this guts to this rotting remains. I'm two up. And then I pull the minus four and I take two horror. Yeah. That's unlucky. 
but it's like doubly unlucky because I committed something. If I if I hadn't committed anything, I would have just taken three horror. Yeah. So it's I've taken two <laughs> horror and lost the card. Yeah, yeah. And wasted resources. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, when you mentioned, you know, in an ideal world, you'd pass every test by the exact well, amount. Well, maybe not actually. <laughs> it would be lovely to keep a tally for some plays of how much one over succeeded mm. in in the test thresholds, because that would be really fascinating to see. And particularly with Arkham, where when you're damaging enemies, you're trying to do an exact amount, and when you're collecting clues. You're trying to collect the right amount. You know, most players wouldn't put a deduction into a test with only one clue. Yes. That means we don't over-succeed in terms of um, outcome value. But where we do over-succeed is often in test value, where we overcommit and then don't need to. And it would be lovely to have a score at the end of, like, how many points over you went. Yeah. In the same way that, like, I've seen, so in, in Gloomhaven Digital, they tell you how much damage you dealt at the end of a scenario. And there are certain characters where the amount of damage they've dealt is in the hundreds, but there haven't been hundreds worth of enemy um, health. Yeah. But it's just that they've got lots of, like, big attacks that do loads of over overkill damage. So you're fighting, like, a five health hound and you you do 10 damage to it. And it's like, yeah, it's it, it's fun because they're a splashy character who does that, but it's also fascinating to see the numbers and the discrepancy in the numbers. I'd love to see that for Arkham. I think that'll be really interesting. And imagine at the end of a Vincent and a Mark playthrough, if it turns out that you've overcommitted by, say, 15 points, and Mark, who can go really high by direct damage, has overcommitted by 30 points. Mm. And it's like, we've passed the same amount of tests, but one of us has poured a lot more energy into into score boosting than the other yeah and yeah that would be really interesting detail the other thing that struck me playing that Susie deck was hot take this is a really hot take coming in frank hope you're ready for it that lucky's quite mm-hmm. a good card lucky yeah it is yeah but i think it's doubly interesting in the context of what we've been talking about luck yeah in that it, it's it's a reusable resource and I, I think this is why silas is so good as well because mm-hmm. Silas is he, uh, his ability is more efficient allocation of resources, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you totally that you use his ability when you, you you can do what we affectionately call total bullshit with Silas mm-hmm. and like recur unrelenting and do things like that as well. Yeah, but but in, in its base form, what Silas lets you do is is allocate resources to a test and then pull it back if you don't need them. Yeah. So that that one resource becomes usable in every single test until it's needed, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is an incredible ability to have. Yeah, I put unexpected courage into test one. Oh, I'm going to pass without the unexpected courage. I'll pull it back. I put unexpected courage into test two. Oh, I needed it. Great. Yeah. You know, you've you've used unexpected courage in bunny years twice. Like the next step of that is you put unexpected courage and take heart into a test. And then see what you draw. Yeah, absolutely. Like, oh, yeah. I'm going to fail. I'll pull back the unexpected <laughs> courage. Oh, I'm going to succeed. I'll pull back and take heart. And you completely calibrate what you need. Yeah, I'm sure Silas would end up with a much lower score in terms of how much he overshoots tests because he can be so targeted. Yeah. And Lucky, to, to continue your point, the lovely thing about Lucky, as we've often alluded to, is it's it's re- uh, reactive yes and that means that it's helped 
in bunny ears, all the tests you didn't need to put it in as well. Every time you've gone into a test at two up knowing you have the lucky is a test that you haven't expended any resources to pass. Yes, which yes. Is, yeah, the real value. Absolutely, yeah, 100%. It, it's a Silas on a stick. Mm. So Silas's ability is that he's super lucky. Yeah, yeah. I just thought, I, th- I thought I thought it was such an interesting the fact that that card is called lucky was sort yeah. of tied into what we talked about this episode so well. Yeah, it really does. And have you seen this thing before where someone takes a test, they don't boost in it because they have lucky, and then they pull a token where they're going to fail where they could pass with the lucky and they don't play the lucky. <laughs> have you have you seen that happen? I've definitely seen that. Yeah, happen. I'm I sure think I've so. Done yeah. That. yeah. It's almost like the value of failure goes down to the point where you don't mind failing. Whereas if you'd committed a couple of icons to that test and wanted them to pass, it then means that you're more committed to playing the lucky because you've not put anything in. You're like, oh, the action itself doesn't matter as much, which is maybe a fallacy or maybe is a way of of almost sort of smoothing out how much a test will cost you if you fail because you haven't put as much in. Okay, well... I feel like we've got through everything here. Yeah. We got a second wind at the end then. We did a bit, yeah. I, I felt like I should have written more notes, Frank, to give us a bit more steerance. Steerance? Steerage? Steerance. Well, which of those are actual what, words? If, if listeners have a load of questions and points back and and thoughts, then we can always revisit this topic. Absolutely, yes. Do a mailbag. You really <laughs> suck at Arkham yeah. rather than the second <laughs> Arkham. You still suck at Arkham. A return to the suckening. So, listener, you can get in touch with us, of course. What did you enjoy about this episode? What did you find provocative? Other thoughts that chimed with you or didn't chime with you? Let us know. We're drawn to the flame podcast at gmail.com. We're drawn to the flame on Facebook. And we're also on Patreon. So if you want to become a patron and support our cast, that would be amazing. Uh, you can find us on there under Drawn to the Flame. Peter, how can people get in touch with you? I am United everywhere. Yes. I'm losing the ability to speak. I think this iron brew has gone straight to my, straight to my head. I'm United everywhere. That's U-N-I-T-L-E-D. I'm on uh, Blue Sky and Discord and Reddit and Steam. I'm also on Instagram as the.unitled, so please say hello. How about you, Frank? I'm FB on Blue Sky, and then I'm around the place as Zooey Glass and Zozo. If this episode comes out before Christmas, Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays to people enjoying this time of year and if it comes out afterwards i hope you're having a lovely break if you're having one and yeah roll on 2024 and happy birthday to you for just before christmas hooray thank you little treat when you're listening back to this episode oh what a treat thank you thanks very much for listening thank you The idea of entering the tomb never left my thoughts, being indeed stimulated by the unexpected genealogical discovery that my own maternal ancestry possessed at least a slight link with the supposedly extinct family of Arian Booth. It was fully a week before the villagers noticed that no lights were appearing at dusk in the windows of the cottage under the trees. Then the lean Stephen remarked that no one had seen the old man or his wife since the night the cats were away. Thank you.